you, I guess you know by by Facebook. I didn't say it during the prayer time, but um, by Facebook you saw that we flew down to North Carolina. Big John and Jim and I. Jim flew us down, and we got to hang out with the Callaways at their house, which was. <coughs> For those of you that don't know, we started out this ministry really focused on disaster relief and doing things because Katrina hit in 2005, and when we were at Northside, we were taking groups of people down there to help through that process, but we met Cheryl and Claudia, Cheryl being the husband, <laughs> it's kind of, everybody gets confused with that, but uh, Cheryl's the husband, Claudia the wife, and they really helped us coordinate all of our our efforts down there, uh, people just demo, demoing houses and rebuilding houses, and we went down there for several years, but Claudia was always the one that that um, fed us. She'd get up at 5 in the morning and fix breakfast for our group. She'd pack lunches, and we'd have lunch there on site, and then we'd come home just nasty, grungy, and tired, and we'd be in a cool church and she would have dinner ready for us and just made sure that we had a good bed and shower when we got home. Um, but she took care of us, and she's been up here. And we had the opportunity once they moved into their house to uh, build cabinets for them, Big John and Micah and uh, Joe Harding and those those men, and we got to help install those. But uh, she's dying, and uh, we just wanted to see her one time. So... Uh, we got to fly down there, and I'm just going to ask you to pray for Claudia that the Lord would just take her home. They texted us just about 15, 30 minutes ago. She's still hanging on. So, uh, Lord, I just pray that you take my, my friend home with you. I know that um, she's in pain, and uh, she's not herself right now, but I just trust you with Claudia and Cheryl. Just comfort them and, and bring them peace. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I appreciate your prayers for the Callaways this week. I want to start off this morning by asking you a question. What does God know? You're going to have to think here this morning. You're going to have to think. You've come here and ready to just soak, but you're going to have to think. What does God know? You... You really believe that God knows everything. Everything. Corey. <laughs> he just did the whole. Uh, does God know if you're going to get married? You're convinced of that? Does God know that you're going to have a child? Oh, you are? <laughs> if you are, he knows. That's a good answer. Does he know where your child is going to go to college someday? He, he said, if I have one, yes, if he, if he or she, whatever it is, goes to college, yes, he knows all that. Is there really anything that he doesn't know? And then I asked the question, uh, obviously we're talking about Jesus and his ministry, 
uh, did Jesus know everything? Don't, don't spout your answers before you think about it for a second here. Did Jesus know everything? I hear a no. I'll accept the no. Jesus didn't know everything. You think, that'd be kind of weird if he was born a baby and he knew everything, right? He knew how to speak and knew how to like do all that. But he literally had to learn. It said, There's not too many scriptures that says anything about Jesus' life growing up from uh, a child. You know, you get past Luke chapter 2, and then all of a sudden Jesus is doing ministry. There is the one time when they went to the temple on the Passover and they left Jesus. Remember, they were traveling as a group, and Jesus was hanging out with the scribes and the Pharisees in his father's house. And they literally went back to Nazareth and left him there. They forgot where Jesus was. They traveled the day and then had to travel another whole day back to find him. And he's like, I'm right here in my father's house. Talking to the Pharisees and the scribes, like 12 years old. You forgot your kid. But it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. That's, well, that's really all we know. Jesus grew in wisdom. He didn't know everything. And he literally says to his disciples, uh, I'm coming back. I'm going to die and I'm going to come back. But he doesn't know when he's even coming back. He, doesn't know, he didn't know when he was walking here on earth when he was coming back. So therefore, I would say, you're right. No, he didn't know everything. There were some things that the Lord had not revealed to him. I believe that he's with the Father now and that he's all knowledgeable. I believe that he knows now when he'll return. But I want you to process, because we're getting to a a little sticking point right here in this passage of Scripture. We left last week where Jesus had had the 12 disciples around him, and he took three of them, his three in his inner circle, uh, Peter, James, and John. He took them up at the top of Mount Hermon, and he had this transfiguration. Had to be one of the coolest things that Jesus ever experienced while he was walking here on earth, realizing that he had the glory of God inside of him, but he was able to like reveal it a little bit to his three closest friends, his three closest disciples. I talked to my dad last night, and uh, he goes, have you seen it? I'm like, yeah, I've seen it. He's talking about the movie that's coming out. The movie about Bart's life, I can only imagine. You know, and I kind of pictured this is what the the transfiguration was for Jesus. You know, I, I've literally watched that movie play out all of his life. They've made this movie about Bart writing, I can only imagine, and hanging out with his father and his father was abusive to him and he came to he saw his dad as a monster but then at some point his dad came to know Jesus and this relationship between him and his dad uh, was inseparable it's like he watched God change his dad's heart and he knew if he could change his dad's heart he could change anybody's heart so I've watched this like movie play out in life, and, and now I've seen it. I've seen it before it comes out. And it's kind of like what happened here in the Transfiguration. 
these disciples have watching Jesus' life play out before their very eyes, but he reveals to them before the return a little bit of what it's going to be like. And Jesus had to go, this is pretty amazing. They're actually getting to see the glory of God unveiled. <laughs> you guys are sitting there. You guys are sitting there in your seats right here. This is You're sitting here after the cross, after Jesus has died on the cross. And that same thing that was pretty cool up there on the mountain, Mount Hermon, seeing the transfiguration, seeing Jesus transform the glory of God, that same glory is like sitting with each one of you right here this morning. Like inside of you. You're sitting here and I look at you and I go, that's a lot of glory. I would, ima- I would imagine some people would come up here and they go, ooh, there's a lot of sin out there. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of junk going on out in this group. Believe me, there is. But if that's not what you see, and you really see the glory of God in each of you, this, this is a beautiful picture, if you could see what I see. And so let, let me review real quick. I'm going to take you back to Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. And I just want to read where we were, and we'll blow through it. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transformed in front of them, and his face shone like the sun. You're buying eclipse glasses on Amazon so you can look at the sun. And it says, he was transformed in front of them, and his face shone like the sun, like they literally were doing this when they're looking at Jesus. They're squinting. They're they're having a hard time seeing Jesus. Even his clothes became white as the light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, (laughs) it's good for us to be here. If you want, I will make those three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And remember, we talked about the Feast of the Tabernacles, and if you missed last week, go back and check it out. But Peter's really doing what is expected of him to do during the Feast of the Tabernacles, and that's to build these booths for these three, one representing the law, one representing the prophets, and then obviously Jesus himself. And he says, While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son. I take delight in him. Listen to him. Like, you have followed, you have followed now, uh, the, the, these other men, you followed them, Moses and his law, you followed Elijah and all of his prophecy and those prophets. Now I'm telling you to listen to my son. If you're going to listen to anything, listen to what he has to say. And when the disciples heard it, they fell face down and were terrified. Then Jesus came up and he touched them and said, get up. Don't be afraid. Throughout, throughout the Gospels, you're going to hear Jesus say, don't be afraid. Guys, I got this. I got this. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except him, Jesus alone. Now, <laughs> it's kind of crazy, but think about this for a second. What we just read right there 
was an experience that was very similar to Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. When the skies opened up and a dove came down and God said, This is my son. This is my son. Follow him. Listen to him. And you know, <clears throat> this, is, this is good. Listen to this because we have a lot of banquet people in here, right? A lot of banquet people. We have other experiences like uh, youth camp, and, 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 and those are like mountaintop experiences. You know, when you're just there, and it's just you and the Lord, and you're hanging out with other believers, and the Spirit's just like so in tune with you, and you're focused, and you have this just beautiful experience. And then you come home, Right? You come home down off that mountaintop. Think about this. As soon as Jesus finished with his baptism and the Lord saying, this is my son. Where did he go? He went straight from that incredible experience of the Lord saying, he's my son. He's come here as the Messiah. Went right into the wilderness and was tempted for 40 days and for 40 nights. That mountaintop experience that Jesus experienced in the baptism all of a sudden went, boom, I'm fighting with the evil one here. So watch this. They're up on Mount Hermon. Transfiguration happens. Peter, James, and John are like going, what just happened? That was amazing. I'm glad we were here. We need to be here. And then Matthew 17, 9 says, As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone about the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. They're just walking down the mountain, and Jesus says, Hey guys, you don't want to talk about this to anybody. This is between me and you three. Because honestly, nobody's going to understand this. Nobody's going to understand what you just experienced, the glory of God. And so the disciples questioned him. Why then do the scribes say that Elijah came first? Now, th this is the sticking point that I was talking about because prophecy is now coming into play. When the disciples go, hey, isn't Elijah supposed to come before the Messiah comes and he's supposed to prepare the way for all this and everything's just going to be cool and it's going to be accepted? They're going back to Pharisaic teaching. And when I say Pharisaic teaching, they're going back to the prophets. And you look at Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, and here's what they grew up understanding, Peter, James, and John. It says, look, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. So they know if the Messiah is coming, if the Messiah, if Jesus is the Messiah, they just saw Elijah there that, hey, wasn't he supposed to come and do all these things? That would make sense if that's the period of time that Malachi is talking about. But in Malachi right there, he's not talking about this time that Jesus came to the earth. When he says, Right there, that passage, the day of the Lord, he's referring to the end times, something that hasn't happened yet. Like Elijah will come someday. 
He hasn't come yet, but he is coming in the end when Jesus returns for a second time. This is what Malachi is referring to. And, and one of the disciples is going, hey, wasn't this supposed to happen? You know, Elijah was like, if you're here, how does that all play out? Based upon what they understood and knew. But let's back up a couple of chapters in Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 says this. See, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Now, don't get confused, but if you really take all 66 books and you just read them part by part, you will be confused. But if you take all 66 books and you read them as one and understand them in the context that they're written, you're going to realize that Malachi now is talking about John the Baptist. He's talking about John the Baptist in verse 1, and then all of a sudden in verse 2 of Malachi chapter 3, he starts talking about Elijah and the second coming. It's like he jumped from here to here, but he's referencing John the Baptist. He's saying there is going to be a messenger that comes and prepares the way. Now watch this. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 17. And here's what Jesus says. He says in response to their question, Elijah is coming and will restore everything. What's he talking about? He's talking about the end times, the second coming, that Elijah is still to come. That's Jesus saying that. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. Wait, he's coming to restore everything, but he's already come. That can be confusing if you just sit there and read it by itself. But you take all 66 books, unpack it, and you can see very clearly what he's talking about. He says, but I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they didn't recognize him. On the contrary, they did whatever they pleased to him. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then all of a sudden, the disciples understood that he spoke to them about John the Baptist. You see, he said Elijah's going to come, and he's going to restore everything. That's talking about the second coming. But he says he's already come. They didn't recognize him. I take you back to John chapter 1, verse 19. It says this. This is John's testimony. When the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, Who are you? He did not refuse to answer, but he declared, I'm not the Messiah. This is John the Baptist speaking. I'm not the Messiah. What then, they asked him, Are you Elijah? I'm not, he said. Wait. This is really getting confusing because Jesus said Elijah is going to come. Elijah has already come. He's already come to prepare the way. I take you back to the very first question I asked you this morning. What does God know? If he literally knows everything, everything that's going to happen, everything that has happened, everything that is happening, if God knows that, don't you think he surely knew that when John the Baptist come, came, 
that he was not going to be received by the Pharisees and the Jews and the nation. Absolutely he knew that. He knew, he knew that John the Baptist was not going to be received. John the Baptist came as a possibility of fulfilling the role of Elijah. But he was not accepted just as Jesus was not accepted by the Jewish nation. Jesus had even previously told, told them that John the Baptist was Elijah to come. Look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. And here he's addressing the multitudes. When I say the multitudes, remember he's got the nation of Israel out there. He's got the Pharisees and the scribes, those that are opposing him. And he says, I assure you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Remember we said that? John the Baptist is like right up here, but now because you have the glory of God inside of you, you're even greater than John the Baptist. Remember that? We talked about that a few weeks ago. Now watch this. Verse 12, it says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence. I love God's timing. Let that soak in for a second. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence, and the violent have been seizing it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. If you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. If you just accept that I'm the Messiah, John the Baptist would have been that Elijah. If you just would have accepted John the Baptist, he would have been that Elijah. Anyone who has ears should listen. When Jesus says that line right there, anyone who has ears should listen, he's looking right at the Pharisees and the scribes. They can't even hear it. Why? Because they blasphemed him. Remember that? For healing a demon-possessed mute. And they said, you're doing this out of the spirit of the evil one. And he blasphemed. He said, now you're not going to hear this thing. But some of the Pharisees, some of the Jews, had the ability to hear if they just opened their ears. So now we can put together all this passage of Scripture that says... Elijah is coming, and Elijah has come. If they just would have received John the Baptist, it actually would have been Elijah. And God knew all this through his foreknowledge. Foreknowledge. That means he's able to look ahead and know what was to occur. To know even today what's going to occur. God knows that. Then we look at this passage of Scripture. Uh, we talk about after them coming down the mountain, that incredible experience, they're traveling down, had that little exchange right there about Elijah. Now they're entering into chaos. <laughs> you know, you have the mountaintop experience and you come home. And you're back in the battle. This is exactly what happened. Exactly what happened here today. Watch this. In Mark chapter 9. They come down off the mountain, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. That means the other nine are like hanging down at the bottom of the mountain. 
You get this? Jesus' other nine disciples were left behind, and they were down there healing people, praying over people, doing ministry, while the four of them were up there experiencing the transfiguration on Mount Hermon. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and them and the scribes disputing with them. There was a public scene occurring. I, I can't paint a better picture than what we've experienced this weekend in Charlottesville. If you want to talk about if you want to talk about two groups of people that are clashing, which is what we've seen, obviously, this weekend, this is exactly what was going on between the Pharisees and the Jews and the Gentiles and the followers of Jesus. Like, they were arguing. There was probably fights about it. I don't know what happened. But you're having this mountaintop experience and you come down to chaos. That's just the way the evil one works, right? You had a great experience. Now all of a sudden, it's getting ruined. It says all of a sudden when the whole crowd saw him, him being capitalized, meaning Jesus, they were amazed and ran to greet him. <laughs> so you've got all this dispute this argument going on the disciples are there and everybody else and they're having this confrontation he's the messiah no he's not the messiah he came from nazareth there's nothing good that came out of nazareth we need a messiah that's coming here and going to save the jews he can't be the one they're arguing and all of a sudden they see jesus in a distance and a part of them starts running towards him. There he is, there he is, there's Jesus. The crowd ran to Jesus. But watch this. It says, all of a sudden when the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. Let me tell you something. Right there. What Those people who saw Jesus, they had to like stop focusing on what was happening in front of them. They had literally had to like look up and take their eyes off the chaos and look over and see Jesus. And when they saw Jesus, they ran to him. I promise you, the only way that you're going to rid what we've seen this weekend is when people take their focus off of themselves, look up and see Jesus, and they'll run to him. That's the only way this thing's getting solved. You can call it politics, you can call it racism, you can call it whatever you want, but that's the only solution. I believe it with all my heart. It says, then they asked him, what are you arguing with them about? He's looking at the disciples going, okay, you nine, what's the big deal? What's going on here? And out of the crowd, one man answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Wherever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. You get this picture? Hey, guys, what's the chaos? This guy busted the crowd. I, look, my child. It's my child. It's every once in a while he j 
just gets attacked. And I, there's nothing I can do about it. Literally, this demon causes him to like go on the ground. And he'll be walking by a fire and he'll fall into the fire. He'll fall into a pond just because a seizure happens. It's demon possession. And all I did was ask your disciples to heal my child and they couldn't do it. Aren't, aren't they your disciples? Aren't they learning from you? Aren't you teaching them anything? How come they can't do what you do? You, you've healed a mute before or a demon-possessed mute before. How come they can't do it? He replied to them, You unbelieving generation. Who's he talking to? Remember, there's multitudes there. There's multitudes there. He's talking to the Pharisees and scribes. He says, You unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? He's talking to those, the Jewish people that are around that don't believe that he's the Messiah. Yet they've come to him and asked him to heal them. It's kind of crazy. But he's speaking to them. He's not talking to his disciples. He's not saying, you guys, you don't believe. These are his boys. These are the guys that he's hanging out with, that he's teaching, and he's trying to encourage them. And he says to this crowd, you guys don't even understand. So they brought him to him. Small H, capital H. They brought this child to Jesus. When the Spirit saw him, it immediately convulsed the boy. Remember, the Spirit is within Jesus. They brought this boy to Jesus, and this boy saw the Spirit of God, and he just, like, went crazy, like movie-like crazy. I'd love to see what Jesus' reaction was. Was he surprised? Or did he just watch? And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? You think he knew? From childhood, he said, and many times it has thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Wait, 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 wait. Did you hear that? When he says, have compassion on us and help us. Watch this. He just says, I have a personal need. He's not saying help us as a generation of Jews. Just help me and my child. Just help us. All of a sudden he revealed, I have a personal need. Jesus listened to him. Then Jesus said to him, if you can. (laughs) Like, wait, 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 wait. The dude just said, if you can do this, if you can heal my son, would you do it? And Jesus looks at him and said, if I, if I can? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Why are you asking me if I can? You know that I can. I've already done it. He said, everything is possible to the one who believes. <laughs> How many times have you heard it said, it's easier said than done? That's a great verse. Everything is possible to the one who believes. 
Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. You ever cried that out? Lord, I absolutely want to believe. Help me. Now all of a sudden, he, he shared this personal need. Help us. Help me. Now he's like getting personal. Personal faith. I do believe. Remember, Jesus quit healing publicly. He quit healing publicly because of their telling him that he was bla- that they blasphemed him. And so now Jesus' only miracles are those that of a personal need and of personal faith. And this man just represented a personal need and a personal faith. And Jesus like, when Jesus saw that the crowd was rapidly coming together, he rebuked the unclean spirit and saying to it, did you hear that? Oh, that's a big verse. Because remember, Jesus' whole ministry had changed at this point. He was doing things privately and not publicly anymore. He wasn't doing miracles publicly anymore. It says when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly coming, what does that mean? He was around a small circle of people and he privately healed this child. He didn't do it in front of the big crowd so they could all see it because he wasn't doing that anymore. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit. Remember that? This is a messianic miracle. What? Some of you are saying messianic miracle. There were about three miracles that the Pharisees couldn't do. One of them was heal a deaf mute. Someone that couldn't speak, someone that couldn't talk, someone that couldn't hear. And the reason they couldn't do it is because they would always ask the demon to tell them their name. And the demon would speak their name and they would call that demon out by name. If he can't talk, you can't call him out by name. So if this miracle was going to be done, only the Messiah could do this. Messiah didn't even ask him his name. He just said, come out. Get out. And all of a sudden another messianic miracle was done. And the crowd didn't get to see it. Because they had previously blasphemed him for the same exact miracle, saying, you're doing this out of the spirit of Beelzebub. Watch this. Then it came out shrieking and convulsing him violently. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said, He's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him and stood him up. <laughs> Can you imagine what that looked like? I mean, the dude's like literally bouncing around at Jesus' feet. And all of a sudden just goes stiff as a board. And everybody's like, he's dead. Jesus reached down and picks him up. Kid gets up and everybody's like, What? Let me jump to Matthew 17. It's the same story, paralleled to Mark, but a little bit more description how this thing ends up. Verse 19 of chapter 17 says, Then the disciples approached Jesus privately. They left the crowd. The disciples are, let's go, guys. We're out of here. They approached Jesus privately. Why couldn't we drive it out? How come you could do it, but we couldn't do it? 
It's not the same spirit? What's the deal here? And Jesus responded, because of your little faith, he told them. For I assure you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain. And I imagine that he was talking about the mountain that they had just come off of, Mount Hermon. You will tell this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Did you did you get this? This is Jesus that's hanging out with his 12 disciples and nine of them are getting hammered by the multitudes, by the crowd, by the Pharisees, by the scribes, by the Jews. And they're just getting pummeled and they said, how come these guys can't do it? And Jesus points his finger at them and says, you don't believe. And then privately he pulls his 12 together and he says, you guys, you're going to take this message and I have all the confidence of the spirit that will be in you to do this. All you have to do is believe. That's it. Takes that much belief. That's it. You guys can do this. Then the last passage that we look at, Mark chapter 9, says, Then they left that place and made their way through Galilee. This is like north of the Sea of Galilee where Mount Hermon is and Caesarea Philippi. That's where it all took place. If you go with me in May, we'll be standing right there where that story just took place. It says, Then they left that place and made their way through Galilee. They came south, but he did not want anyone to know it. That's kind of strange, isn't it? I mean, the whole reason that Jesus came here was to, like, tell people the good news about how much the Father loved him, to share the gospel. And he's like saying to him right here, he says, but he didn't want anyone to know it. And the only reason that's there, he didn't want anybody to know it because he knew what was to come and he didn't want that to happen right then. He's waiting for the right time and the right moment for the end to come. And it says, for he was teaching his disciples, just hanging out with 12 guys. He wanted some quality time. Let's get away. Let's get out of here. I want to hang out with you 12. I just want to disciple you. He says, the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of the men. They will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise three days later. These 12 are sitting around Jesus' feet or walking with him. He says, look, I'm going to tell you a second time right here. This is the second time he's told him this. The son of man, which is me, is going to be killed. I'm going to be betrayed. And after I'm killed, I'm going to raise three days later. It's the second time he told him. And they're sitting around looking at Jesus and they're like going, Huh? What's that mean? Verse 32, But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. In other words, we've heard him say this before. We should probably be getting this, but we don't. And I don't know if they were afraid or if they were embarrassed but they didn't ask Jesus. 
What's this all about? I mean, we, man, I know you'd be asking him. <laughs> what are you talking about? Explain this to me. But the, these 12, for some reason, were just like, maybe they just trusted that the Lord was going to reveal and unpack this to them at another time. You know, I look in this room right here, and I see, uh, obviously I see the glory of God. But I see some incredible stories of men and women who have discipled each other in this room. That have literally taught each other about God. Taught each other about Jesus. Taught each other about the word. And that you continue to do this. I literally, I, I honestly believe it's not my responsibility for you to get it. I trust that the Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that lives in my mortal body, that lives in your mortal body, will reveal this message to you. And that you will continue to be a student of the Word, to be a student of the Lord and to know that he loves you dearly. And sometimes your questions will not be answered, but they can be, and they will be. Father, I pray that you would um, unpack your word. You continue to show us, uh, man, just the fact that you are here and you were able to come in this uh, earth vessel as a Lord and walk this earth and you you literally you literally understand what a mountaintop experience is and coming into the battle is and that you can relate to us you understand what we're going through that you have compassion and mercy and grace for us as we fight this crazy battle in this crazy world with crazy things going on and we sit here in this room and know that you're the only answer to that. I pray that you'll continue to reveal yourself to us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.